Welcome back to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. We couldn't do these without the incredible support of our sponsors, and we want to take a moment to say thank you to all of them. First, thanks to our diamond sponsor, Varsity Brands, including BSN, Varsity Spirit, and Herf Jones. Varsity Brands, elevating student experiences in sport, spirit, and achievement. We also want to thank our platinum sponsors, including Camp Mobile, where leaders communicate better. Ephesus Lighting, innovating a brighter future at every level. Gipper, sports graphics made incredibly simple. Hometown ticketing, simple and easy online ticketing. And Vital Signs, bring student achievements to life. Thanks to all of our great sponsors. Welcome back everyone to another episode of the Educational AD Podcast. Our guest today is truly a good friend, Teg Cosgrip. Teg's a certified master athletic administrator and he's the director of athletics for the Westbrook Public School System in Westbrook, Connecticut. Teg, welcome to the show. Jake, great to see you, and thanks for having me on a nice snowy day up here in uh, New England. Well, it's actually, uh, it's a little cold down here in Florida. It's down about 62 degrees, so uh, you notice I've got a jacket on today. <laughs> Rub it in. <laughs> you got me out of a little bit of snow shoveling, though, so that was cool. Oh, my goodness. Uh, you, need to, uh, you need to make it down to Florida. Well, um, as you know, it's certainly, uh, even with the snow, it's a busy time for ADs, so we're going to jump right into it. We always like to let our listeners have a chance to get to know our guests. So tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, uh, where you went to school, and maybe how your love of sports led to a career in athletics. Sure. Um, so I, for the most part, I basically grew up in Madison, Connecticut, which is just a couple uh, towns over from where I'm now in Westbrook, uh, Connecticut. Um, my wife grew up here, too. We actually met each other after college. Um, and we're actually raising our family here in Madison in our hometown, um, which is really cool. Um, grew up playing all kinds of sports. That's all I wanted to do. Um, any book I read, um, if I was going to read a book, it was going to be about sports. Um, how it led into a career that was kind of, you know, interesting. I kind of just did what you're supposed to do when, uh, when you went to school. Try to do your best. Try to get good grades. That kind of thing. Um, I played um, was a three-sport athlete all through eighth grade. And then I went to a pretty large high school, uh, private school here in uh, Connecticut, Xavier High School, and uh, uh, made the soccer team starting the fall and then tried out for the freshman boys basketball team. And there was 125 boys that tried out for the basketball team for 12 slots. And there was about at least 75 to 80 five-foot-one point guards like me that, you know, I had a decent handle, but um, – I always thought about what it would be like to get cut from a team and how I'd react. I remember coming home from that first tryout going, there's guys that are better than me. And it, it, it didn't really, I'm sure it bothered me, but I handled it. It wasn't like an issue kind of thing. And you move on and you get involved in other activities. Um, I did a PG year of uh, prep school and I played soccer and uh, baseball there. And then went on to uh, Lehigh University um, to study engineering because supposedly I was strong in math and I was strong in science. And, and that's where I always joke I had my midlife crisis. I was there for about two years. And um, 
for wanting to be academically successful. It wasn't working out. And the best thing I did there was use the Career Counseling Center. And I came across a degree program at the time. This was 1987 called Sport Management. I never knew it existed. Came home, showed my dad, look, this would be so cool to, to get a degree. And he kind of looked at me and said, you know, hey, um, you know, get your button gear and, uh, you know, go get your degree. Long story short, was home that summer. He and I chatted and it was his idea. And I pursued a degree, in, an undergraduate degree in sport management. Um, and I ended up at Springfield College. Um, almost started from scratch, started as a sophomore, lost 66 credits. Um, <clears throat> but right away, fell in love with the place, fell in love with the coursework, the teachers I had, and uh, called up my dad and said, thanks a lot. This is the most fun I've had in school since kindergarten. Um, I got involved there right away, worked in the sports information office, um, got involved with the um, the women's soccer program as a student assistant, um, working with the, the women's uh, varsity program. Uh, Coach Zettel was awesome to bring me in and allow me to get involved there. So kind of accelerated what I was doing and um, had a purpose and a mission um, from there. So I've, I've got my undergrad degree in sport management from, from Springfield College. I ended up getting, while I was working at Yale, I got a master's in counseling at the University of Bridgeport. And then um, in my first interscholastic athletic director's job, um, went back to school as well to get my six-year degree in ed leadership, educational leadership from Southern Connecticut State. Uh, it's, it's always so cool to hear the, uh, the stories that athletic directors share. You know, certainly Springfield College, uh, you know, kind of a cradle of, uh, you know, physical education majors and uh, program. That has been a great experience. It, it, it was, thanks. It, it um, definitely was life-changing. And, you know, again, I, I still joke, it's kind of at that age and what I went through and figuring it out was almost like a, a midlife crisis for a 20-year-old. <laughs> Well, take us through those those next few years, you know, post college, and you know, maybe those first uh, that first job or jobs that, you know, led to becoming an athletic administrator. Sure, it's interesting. One of the things too, just growing up in the community that I'm raising my family in now, Madison, we're a shore town on Long Island Sound, and um, so part of that transition too from Lehigh to Springfield, ended up working with Park and Rec a lot and doing a lot of coaching clinics and that kind of stuff. Um, also was running our beachfront as head lifeguard for, uh, for four summers, but I never thought of the recreational field as a, um, as an area of, uh, of, you know, a career, um, until I went through that change. Um, so at Springfield, one of the things your junior year, you have a three week pre-practicum that you have to do. And I was able to do that over the junior year of my April break. And I did it at Yale university, um, with the athletics facilities people. And then uh, my last semester at Springfield, we had to do a full semester, 15 field, uh, 15 credit field work experience. And I did that at Yale as well. And um, so I was at Yale for um, my last semester of senior year and um, got my hands on everything, um, varsity operations and athletic facilities wise. Um, and from that, um, I, at the end, I graduated from Springfield and started looking for coaching positions in, in, the, in uh, college soccer. And um, they asked if I would work for them over the summer. And I did, and long story short, um, filled in for a, an athletic director on maternity leave for six months and three months into that, I got offered a full-time job. Um, and I'd spent a great eight years at Yale um, where I got to work on um, the athletic facilities area, varsity operations, um, marketing, uh, community outreach and development. Um, had a great mentor there and Tom Beckett who came in from Stanford University that had a bunch of young bucks like us, uh, or myself that just wanted to get experience and um, he let us at it. And it was uh, a phenomenal experience. 
And then someone that grew up in this area, um, Madison's only 20 minutes from Yale University. So Yale was kind of in my backyard in the sense of, you know, a kid who loved sports growing up and watching sports. So I walked into an athletic administration building that probably at the time I think had four or five Hall of Fame coaches that I used to read about and watch. And so I was in awe on that and I just like to observe and watch people. And so just to get to see how really class act people get to conduct themselves, their business, and, and in this case, their programs. And, and the one that to me is uh, um, special is uh, Carm Koza was the head football coach at Yale University for, for 32 years. He comes from a place, another cradle of coaches, Miami of Ohio. And um, just amazing to watch him interact and you know the relationships he created with you know thousands of his football players that are doctors, lawyers, dentists, and uh, unbelievable business people and uh, philanthropists as well. Did you ever take in a, uh, a Harvard Yale uh, football game? <laughs> um, a few, yep, um, definitely a few. Um, down at field level as well, um, and it, it, when the bowl was full with seventy thousand people, um, it was really cool. Um, you know, and that eight years at Yale was fantastic. There's other offshoots that were provided there. Um, we ended up at Yale in New Haven hosting the 1995 Special Olympic World Summer Games, um, which was uh, a two and a half year volunteer endeavor on top of what we were already doing. And so the, the type of jobs that we had, we were working seven days a week as it was. And so it's probably working 120 hours a week um, when we had that. And I was overseeing the soccer venue and then also assisting with the opening ceremonies. That was the bowl filled with 80,000 people, Yale Bowl, um, Hootie and the Blowfish um, opening the ceremonies and a presidential visit, visit from Bill Clinton. Um, so I got to work with some really cool experiences there, Secret Service and White House staff and that kind of stuff. Um, but that also um, provided me a, a love and appreciation for the concept of unified sports in Special Olympics. And that's something that I've carried forward, forward with me from the Yale experience as well. Um, and then from Yale, I actually, um, while I was at Yale, I was recruited to apply for the athletic director position in my hometown, Madison, um, for an athletic director position. At the time, it was what I call the old school model, who's um, AD, teacher, um, and coach. And I didn't have that background in terms of the teaching. So um, I kind of declined and six months later they came back and superintendent asked for my resume and long story short it turned into them creating the first full-time athletic director position for the school system and so I was able to do that for um, six years and uh, build a k-12 model um, that's in place today that um, is under a great caretaker now that uh, replaced me and is doing amazing things um, but allowed us to create a, a high standard of excellence it was a, a program that was very good at um, and, and, and admired in the state of Connecticut. And we actually grew it um, into even bigger and better things with larger offerings and really educational-based athletic stuff. One of the things that I was able to do at, at Madison that I took from me with Yale was a community outreach initiative where we um, basically modeled what we did in New Haven. Tom Beckett brought in a program where um, student athletes at Yale interacted with underprivileged youth and got them on campus. and. So we did something similar in our small community in Madison where our student athletes had a community outreach council and we created like a, a, youth, um, a youth Olympics day where we had clinics and the kids with themes of different, um, different character development type themes that kids got t-shirts for and, um, and got to know and connect with our high school student athletes and kind of build that relationship so that they could at that time wanna grow up and be a tiger. And um, off of that, 
um, kids started to come up with, this is a part that I love about our job is, you know, how can we plant seeds to empower kids? And um, so I had this one young man after two years of our community outreach council, really getting good teeth said, I've, I've got an idea. I'd like to um, have our football team on home Friday, Friday afternoons, home football game Friday afternoons, um, read to the elementary school kids. And um, so he created a program. He got connected with elementary school reading specialists and they created a reading program, Touchdowns for Character. Um, and this was back in, I wanna say like 2002. And uh, one of the coolest experiences for me is raising a family in this town and having my three boys come home from elementary school saying, hey, guess who came and read to me today? And then to have them go through the school system as football players that my two older ones have both graduated from in high school to say, guess what I did today? I'm like, why? I got to read to the elementary school kids. Remember when so-and-so came to read to me? And so those are legacy programs that we talk about building. And um, I'm still in contact with the young man that started it. And, you know, he's a 30 something now. And I just love, you know, I remind him, I just say, hey, Mark, that program's still going. They're still doing touchdowns for character. And um, so that, that's one of the, the cool things I think that we have the, the ability in, uh, to empower young people in our jobs. Jake, I lost you on the sound. There we go. I'm a professional podcaster. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was that. saying uh, uh, you certainly mentored that young man. And that takes us into our next talking point. I'm curious, who are some of your mentors? You already touched upon one, but uh, who were some teachers or coaches that uh, you know had an impact on you or maybe people that you've worked with or worked for? Uh, I always say the expression I like to use is I still hear those voices in my head uh, when I'm talking with a coach or, or maybe a kid. So whose voice do you still hear? So I, I think the biggest, the one that had the biggest impact for me in, in early development would have been my sophomore year in high school um, was my JV soccer coach, assistant of varsity soccer coach and um, a math teacher that I had, Jack King, um, we call him Kinger. And yeah, I hear his voice too, because um, he, he would call me Tegger. Um, and I, I think he took to me, I actually played my sophomore season with a broken wrist and fought like heck to be allowed to play with the cast and we figured it out. And I think he liked that. Um, but um, he was someone that really supported me both in the classroom. There'd be times I might've had a couple struggles and um, he was always there for me. And then um, that concept of, he's probably the first person other than my parents that I experienced someone from the outside believing in me and the power of what that meant and what that did. And um, as an athlete, that just turned me into a, a fearless competitor, his support and belief in me. And, um, and that carried all the way through, um, through my senior year um, with him. And then he ended up being a colleague. I ended up, he was coaching girls lacrosse when I was um, the chairperson of our conferences, girls lacrosse league and um, it was so much fun to reconnect with him in that environment and for him to look at me and say oh my gosh you're an athletic director and you're you're leading this so um, come in full circle um, yeah I'd mentioned Tom Beckett at Yale just the opportunities and a mentor and a sounding board someone that I would pick up the phone um, in my early years as an interscholastic athletic director um, looking for advice and then you know most recently I, I think um, when I was at um, Oxford Public Schools principal Frank Savo um, you know, a guy that a veteran coach that was a principal, um, you know, knew how to deal with adversity and um, mm -hmm. the politics of the job and 
um, was a great mentor in that area. And then most recently, my um, superintendent in Westbrook, who just retired this past um, this past June. Uh, again, just in terms of relationship building and um, things that she did to bring that to the Westbrook community and our Westbrook schools and how she and I were able to partner with programs she had already had in place there to, to make sure athletics was a part of that um, as well. And um, so I think those are probably the people that influenced me the most. Uh, again, it's always great to hear these um, you know, stories about you know those people that came before us uh, because and you used a very great uh, term you know planting a seed in in the current generation so appreciate you sharing tag you've certainly been uh, to a number of different programs very successful programs and one of the things we like to do with the podcast is share this idea of best practices so i'm going to put you on the spot you already shared one really cool program but what are some things that you see, you know, your coaches, your athletic department doing that, you know, you can say with equal parts, uh, pride and humility, uh, boy, we really do a great job with this. Uh, what are some best practices from your school? So I, I think um, recently, you know, again, staying in the educational based athletics model, Connecticut has this program called the Michael's Achievement Cup. And um and it's a way to it's it's a kind of a way to kind of measure some of the exemplary programs in the state. And over the last five years, they've reshaped it to really have a strong focus on sportsmanship. And um, so that's been one of our goals is to um, be one of those organizations that earns that Michael's Cup. Um, but again, it's not about the outcome; it's about the steps and process to get there. And so. Through that program, we um, pull in, you know, in terms of cultivating leaders and, um, you know, we've all had that conversation, right? The, the coach that all of a sudden the season starts and he picks two captains. Well, why? Well, they're this or they're that. Well, what have we done to prepare them to be leaders? So um, I've used the program that Connecticut has in place to identify our younger leaders, um, not necessarily bring in the junior, senior type level people, but sophomore and, and, and some junior people and bring them through those programs so that when they become seniors and it's their time to lead, we have them prepared. Um, and, and so uh, in some of these cases, uh, you know, there'd be a, basically an annual um, sportsmanship conference that the state will hold. And um, there'll probably be about a thousand people there. Every school's bringing anywhere from, you know, anywhere from six to 25 people I'm one of the smaller schools in Connecticut. I'm usually bringing a, a large group of 20 kids because um, we want to train them. And um, within our school as well, we have a team leadership program. That's a class. Um, and it, they do an amazing job. And they actually go out around the state and present on a number of different topics related to, to empathy, relationships, um, social, uh, social media concepts, and things like that. And so over the last two years, we've tried to fold athletics into that. And, um, and capitalize on the, the program that we have in the class classroom as well so that um, we're actually just creating kids that are just more prepared to be leaders as opposed to being thrown into the fire um, when they kind of get knighted, if you will. Yeah, I, I think uh, we've seen that in the last few years, uh, maybe more than that, about being proactive with developing and naming captains. Um, you know, you, you'll hear coaches say, you know, boy, this senior class, they're not good leaders, or this captain is not a good leader. And, you know, for me, 
you know, I always, and I was certainly guilty of it myself as a younger coach, but um, I would always try to tell them, well, you know, you don't just anoint your um, center in, in soccer or your forward in lacrosse or your quarterback in football, just because they're a senior, you know, leadership's a skill. And if a kid doesn't have that skill, you know, don't ask them to do something that they can't do. And, and better than that, you know, let's try to cultivate and develop those skills when they're younger. So, uh, you know, absolutely, you know, developing that next crop of leaders is, is very, very important. Um, Tag, you are a, as we mentioned, you're a certified master athletic administrator, and we've got a lot of younger ADs that listen to the podcast. Uh, I think it's important to kind of talk about the journey. So share a little bit, you know, how did you get involved with um, your state association, uh, taking those initial LTI courses, and then leading up to, you know, your CMAA, you know, kind of walk us through that journey. Sure. Um, so one of the things I think I was fortunate with, our, our leader for the Connecticut uh, Interscholastic Athletic Administrators Association, um, Fred Balsamo, um, is very, very active and uh, was an athletic director when I first started my journey um, with that. So having having someone that I know closely that leads that stuff and to be able to ask questions and follow that leadership um, is definitely very helpful. Um, right away too, just the way, at least, you know, the way we're structured in Connecticut with our conferences, um, where we basically end up um, getting leadership positions. Uh, you know, everybody ends up becoming, a, every AD has a chair, is a chairperson of at least one sport and seeing, overseeing those coaches in those sports. Um, so being able to, to take advantage of those opportunities and, and not be afraid of them because again, there's people like yourself and, and others that are around us that um, are there to help. And so you can ask questions. So, you know, don't be afraid to jump in and just know there's a lot of people there, whether it's veteran coaches and or athletic directors there to, um, to guide you. Um, I've been able to, you know, just ask, you know, that's the other thing too. If you want to get involved is ask, how do I get involved? Um, what do I need to do? What opportunities exist? And be prepared to, you know, your, your top three choices probably aren't going to be available. Um, you know, and so when that door, you know, when the door opens, um, take it. And that's what allows you to get to the, to the next steps and over time, potentially into areas that you would like to get involved in. Um, if you wait for that shiny moment that, that you perceive, that's, that's when sometimes you get shut out. So um, when the opportunity presents itself to, to be helpful and, and be servant, um, take it and then you grow from there and, and you create unbelievable relationships through that, um, as you know, and just, you know, people pick up the phone and just ask, start asking you for advice and ideas or getting called for a state ad hoc committee that's going to, you know, meet for four months to evaluate something. It's nothing really official, but we want some input from people around the state um, and those opportunities as well. Share a little bit about your, uh, I'll take you back in time, your uh, CMA project, you know, how did that develop and, and how did you end up presenting that? So um, again, that was a great experience. And uh, I was fortunate enough to have um, Bruce Brown um, as my mentor for that. And I'm really lucky that I, I got to know him um, through that process. So um, I kind of was, you know, trying to figure out, I had a couple of different things that I could do. And they usually tell, you know, hey, what have you done? And can take, take that and turn that into your project. And if you want to modify some things and, and tweak it, go ahead. And um, 
So one of the things that, I, that it's a, a passion of mine too, and it stems, I think, a little bit after reflecting some out of my own experience as a student athlete, and then seeing, um, as I first got involved in interscholastic athletics, but um, basically created a, a program that, um, you know, isn't new to people, but um, counsels student athletes on the college search, athletics college search process. Um, a very step-by-step -step process that educates kids first about the opportunities that are out there. Um, and then basically helping them learn how to identify where they fit and then teaching them, as you know, right. It's, you know, the, it's only the 2% that, you know, if we were sitting down on a Saturday that we've turned on a, a division one game, you know, those guys get found, but 98% of the kids that play a sport, um, get found if it's lucky or they got to do the legwork. So teaching kids how to, um, I hate using the word market because it sounds a little, but how do they get in front of people and identify what schools they're interested in and where they want to play and how they can control the process. Um, and then through that too, just really emphasizing the importance of athletics, you know, and understanding what the division three, division two, division one experience is, um, you know, the opportunities are plentiful at division three. I love the division three experience and for the student athlete that does a good job in the classroom um, the money's there there's actually more money for those kids um, than you know someone getting a split partial at the division one uh, level and um, so I, that's a, something I became passionate about uh, when I first my first year as an interscholastic athletic director and when I heard kids <clears throat> immediately dismiss division three all oh, that's like intramurals and this is back like in 1998 I said, oh, we got some education to do here because we've got a whole bunch of great athletes. We're winning state championships and no one's playing in college because they, they, they want to go to the big division one thing and that's not who we are. And um, <clears throat> so that's changed. And that's one thing that's really cool to see in this area is uh, the number of student athletes that we have playing. And um, I got to brag a little bit. My oldest is going to be graduating in, in the spring from Wheaton College in, in Norton, Massachusetts, and he's playing lacrosse. And um, same thing. He did all the right things. And, uh, you know, he, it's like paying for it's like less than paying for a state school based upon what he was able to achieve uh, through that process. Oh, it sounds like a real cool project. And you're absolutely right. There's so much more academic money out there uh, than athletic. Um, you know, I used to do uh, back when I was coaching football, we do a kind of a college recruiting night uh, just for football. And uh, one of my first slides, of course, we're down here in Florida. You know, I would list the uh, height and weight of the previous year's um, um, recruits from the University of Florida and Florida State. And uh, so, again, we're like you, a small private school. You know, uh, you know, Mr. Smith, if you're wondering why your son, who's a linebacker, has not been recruited by the University of Florida, you know, this might be why. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, that sounds pretty cool. Um Tag, uh, another thing we've been doing with the podcast is um, allowing ADs to either celebrate or, uh, let's say, share what's happening uh, in their area regarding COVID. And I know in Connecticut, it's been kind of a roller coaster. Uh, you know, here in Florida, you know, we delayed for a month, but we were able to pretty much start up, not everywhere, but most of the states started up late August and and now we're done with fall. We're actually, we're getting ready to go in the playoffs for our winter sports. But wow. what's happening right now, and to our listeners, we're recording this on uh, February 1st. Um, what's happening right now 
in Connecticut as far as, you know, return to play as well as return to school? You know, what's going on? Sure. So, um, yeah, just a quick hitter on the fall for us, too. We were able to get our season off the ground um, almost, you know, in fairly normal fashion from a timeline um, in Connecticut. And one of the things that we enjoyed in Connecticut that is totally flipped on its head right now is we had the best um, COVID metrics in the entire country in Connecticut during the fall. Um, so that was one thing that we felt really good about going through those mitigation strategies. But right now, every, every town in Connecticut, I think there's four, and, and, and the four towns that um, aren't in the red zone, the highest, um, don't even have their own standalone high schools. So um, we were allowed to um, late in December to CIAC, announced that we were going to um, start our season on January 19th officially with in-person practices um, with the goal of first games on February 8th. So here we are today, February 1. Um, teams have been practicing. Um, my own school um, cannot make it up, but we had uh, Martin Luther King Day off and we got an email. Um, we had a case at the high school and um, we had someone at the high school with a case and uh, the way it impacted our staffing, we were going remote for two weeks. So January 19th, first day to be able to start practices, um, we, uh, we went remote. And we, today was supposed to be our first day back in person learning. And today was going to be our first day on the court for our indoor track teams going to be outdoors. Um, and uh, so with the, we've got a snow day. So what we had been doing in December, we were kind of in out of season, uh, our interscholastic uh, athletic state conference out of season mode where coaches are allowed to work with student athletes for conditioning purposes, but not sports specific stuff. And it's voluntary for the student athletes. So we created virtual programming um, for that in an effort to really get kids involved and be prepared for January 19th. Um, January 19th rolled around and we went right into virtual practices. Um, and we've got a platform team builder that we're using for virtual conditioning and workouts. Um, as well. Um, our state is, you know, prepared to start games on the 8th. Um, a number of people still haven't gotten into the gyms in Connecticut um, to practice um, ice hockey. Big in New England, um, they're getting prepared to play, but they've got challenges there. Um, we're not a state that has a rink in every town or every other town. Um, a lot of our schools have to use college rinks, private rinks, or um, kind of some prep school rinks as well. So that's been a challenge getting kids, getting kids ice time. Um, the colleges aren't open and letting outside groups in. The prep schools aren't either. The private ranks are doing that and they're allowing that. So right, even today we had a state AD, statewide AD call. That was the first topic was um, how, how are we managing the, uh, the ice hockey um, things as well. Um, so again, it's, um, we're trying to play, um, keeping a positive, um, approach about it. But as you know, I, I think the last two weeks I've gone from saying everything's day to day and saying it's now hour to hour. And, um, you know, we just need to read and flex. Or can we be safe with the kids and the coaches? And then, um, you know, figure out creative ways to, to get games in as well. Um, and there's still some things that we have unanswered how individual school districts are, um, you know, handling the concept of spectators and um, things like that, that ends up getting a lot of traction and dialogue in Connecticut, um, you know, a lot of the stuff, the, the governor, CDC, Department of Public Health and governors make their edX, CIAC works with 
with them and their sports medicine committee. And then, um, you know, there's certain things that each school district is allowed to make some decisions on. Um, and so it's hard to get alignment and consistency um, even in your own athletic conference. And I'm not saying that's anybody's fault. It's just how it is. Um, so that's, uh, you know, those are the challenges that we're facing with, um, with COVID, like I think like everybody else. Yeah, and again, that's the frustrating part is, you know, you're doing everything right, you've done everything you told you're supposed to do, and then some alphabet organization, uh, you know, changes the rules on you. Um, what did, um, how did your school deal with uh, fans and um, uh, spectators during the fall season? So initially with, um, we had an interim superintendent and um, so again, that even folds into I, I, this poor woman starting July 1st on a six month interim superintendent thing. And the first thing she has to do is come up with a COVID plan for a school district. But um, so initially the plan was no spectators. And as a conference, we had alignment on that. And then um, basically each individual district, as you know, there's political pressures from different people and things started to change. And some people were going to allow spectators, some weren't. <coughs> um, so we got to the point where we actually, we actually phased in spectators. Um, we've kind of, our, our outdoor facilities, uh, we're a small school. We've got gorgeous fields, um, but we don't really have a lot of infrastructure in terms of stadium stuff and bleachers. And just the way our fields were lined out for uh, boys and girls soccer, um, our field hockey team, <laughs> excuse me, are the uh, three teams on campus that we have that uh, have spectators. Um, actually lend itself to being able to be outdoors. And again, in Connecticut, where we had the lowest metrics in the country, um, we were confident we could come up with a plan to, to allow some spectators. So we got to the point where each student athlete was allowed to have um, two family members there. And we, we had it all marked out. Everybody got a, a tag that they had to have with them. And then uh, no outside spectators in terms of visiting teams. It was just just the home team spectators. And then our football team, we actually co-op with a neighboring town. Uh, they're the house site there. And um, so we kind of mirrored each other in terms of how we were gonna be conducting um, spectators for the fall. Um, but as of today for our winter spectator decision, it's right now it's still up in the air. Well, again, we, we wish you the best and hope that continues to trend uh, in a positive direction. Uh, Tag, another question we've been talking about since we started these interviews, revolves around the idea of social awareness, uh, social justice uh, concerns. I mean, and my question has been this, what are some things that we can do as athletic administrators? What are some things that we can do better uh, in this area of social awareness for our students, for our communities? So, which I think is an awesome question. I, I kind of look at it first, just thinking about myself. Um, you know, in terms of if, if we're leading a program, um, what are some things that it's time for self-reflection and what are things that limit my perspective? Um, so I've taken that and, and learned to reach out to different area communities as well, other athletic directors to learn what some of their kids are going through because it's not the same thing that, that our kids are going through. Um, Connecticut too, just this past fall, created a um, student um, equity advisory board. It's not, it wasn't athletics based um, and they were looking for some kids and I was able to get a student athlete from our school um, involved in that. And that's 
allowed us to have some more substantial conversations in the state, but then also brought back um, to our communities uh, as well. So I think the biggest piece too is, is, just, is just listening, giving kids a voice. Um, and I think in our arena too, you know, athletics to me is a, is a obviously it's an educational endeavor. Um, your court, your field, your pool um, is a classroom. So um, figuring out how to, to, to partner because our, our teachers in the classroom are doing this as well. And so how can we integrate and partner with them um, to help kids get their message and their feelings um, out in terms of what they're doing. And then Connecticut's helping us even do it so that we can get kids from all schools in Connecticut in different ways, being able to communicate and uh, share messages with us throughout our state. Well, I think that's a, that's a great idea, being able to get the kids together. Uh, I'm actually doing a, a Zoom recording next week uh, with some students from around our state, uh, kind of asking them, you know, um, how can we do a, a better job from the student perspective? So congratulations nice. on doing that. Um, we'll lighten things up here a little bit. Um, another question I, I would always ask is, you know, what's your favorite part of the job? And after about 60 interviews, you know, the answer was always the same. It's the kids. And of course, it should be the kids. You know, why else would you uh, get involved in this uh, <laughs> business if you didn't enjoy kids? But acknowledging that you care about your kids, what are some other things that get you excited about uh, coming to school each day? Uh, what do you really love about your job? So, um, so, I mean, obviously, yeah, you hit the nail on the head. And I think, you know, I was thinking about this concept and one of the things I used to do with my kids too, just, just it, it's a mindset, right? In terms of enjoying what we do. I mean, I don't, I don't think I've worked a day in my life. I don't think of it that way. And, um, you know, so I, I remember I used to get the, the boys out of their crib. I'd stand them up and before I let them out, I said, you know, I kind of taught them the concept of what kind of day are you going to have? You have a decision to make, you know, you're going to have a great day or you're going to have a cruddy day and, you know, feeling, oh, dad, I'm going to have a great day. And, so that's kind of what it feels like for me to get up out of bed every morning, knowing that I'm going to see those kids. But then um, to steal a terminology from you, Jake, you know, keep coaching those coaches. So, and that's, that's where we have the greatest impact. Not only, yeah, I mean, especially, you know, we've got that coaching blood in us. We want to interact with the kids, but how do we, have, how do we spread that impact? And that's where, um, you know, hiring great coaches that care about kids, that are on the same message, on the same page with you with educational based athletics and providing them the resources and the training. And I think even going back to that question, you said, you know, what can we do better to help kids as athletic directors? I think it's one of the things that sometimes I think gets shortchanged. And as athletic directors, we need to fight for resources for our coaches to learn and grow and get better so that they can help kids. So I think that's the, you know, to me, that's the layers. It's the kids and then it's the people I get to work with that get to help the kids that get excited about helping the kids that just make it a great day to go to work. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, we get paid to do this, you know, you, <laughs> we, get, we get paid to go to games and hang out with coaches and kids. Uh, yeah, no, very cool. I love it. Yeah. Well, Tig, this has been great catching up. Uh, we haven't had a chance to talk for a while, but uh, we're not done yet. Uh, we always <laughs> like to wrap up with what mm. we call the athletic director's toolbox. Now, you're certainly a veteran AD, a very successful AD, but right now I'm going to challenge you to send out a brand new athletic director on their very first job, but I'm only going to let you put three things in their toolbox. What three items 
are going to go in Tate Cosgrove's athletic director toolbox? So I love this question. Um, first one is listen, the ability to listen. Um, and especially too, I, I think we learn that as we, we go. Um, you know, we, we can make mistakes. So as, as, as you grow, listen to people. People need to be heard and want to be heard. Um, that helps you formulate decisions, helps you formulate your messages. And even if we make decisions or people above us make decisions that we don't agree with, um, you know, the, the ability to look someone in the eye and say, these were informed decisions, even though you might not like them. So the ability to listen, sometimes that ability for someone just to let them get it off their chest, that's probably 80% of it sometimes. Um, and then the other 20% is the, is the easy part. So listening would be number one. Um, number two, I don't know how to characterize this. I, I think I would just say breathe. Um, so in terms of be mindful, there's going to be times that you're going to be challenged. It's going to be adverse. Um, again, it, athletics is a people relationship business. Uh, mm -hmm. The other stuff to me, you know, sports and seasons are cyclical. Um, but there are going to be things that you didn't learn in the classroom that you hadn't encountered before um, that you're going to need to ask for help. And so instead of getting stressed or being reactionary, breathe, assess what's going on. And, um, and go from there and realize you're not gonna be the first person that is dealing with a, a tough issue about a kid or a parent or a coach, and you're not gonna be the last. And sometimes those things, especially your first two year, couple of years, um, you know, it, it can be overwhelming. And um, to take that step back and breathe, I think is, is a gift um, to be able to use. And then the, um, the third one I think is just, um, you wanna be an athletic director, you better like helping others. Um, so servant leadership and and that one I, I have to uh, go to I don't know if you got a chance to ever know Joe Tonelli from Notre Dame uh, High School in West Haven Connecticut um, he's since retired been involved in NIAAA and a lot of different um, levels but when I got offered the Madison job the first my first interscholastic job he's someone that I knew and I picked up the phone and we met at Yale Field the baseball field for lunch just sat in the empty bleachers and I said Tell me what this whole high school AD thing is. And he goes, he looked me in the eye. He goes, let me sum it up for you. Do you like helping people? Because if you don't like helping people, tag, don't take the job. And um, so I think you got to be prepared to, to help people and want to and like it. Uh, great, great advice. I love the last one. You know, that was some wisdom that was passed on to me, uh, you know, many years ago. And I think eventually I, I began to utilize it. But, uh, you know, <laughs> appreciate you sharing that. Take Gosgriff, if our listeners wanted to reach out to you and pick your brain a little bit, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Um, that's pro probably email um, would be the best bet. Um, also on the, the NIAAA uh, network um, that we have that I know you share a lot on as well. So um, it, it's a long one. It's T Cosgriff at westbrookctschools.org. Uh, Cosgriff spelled C-O-S-G-R-I-F-F. So again, uh, listeners, you can play this back. If you need to uh, get that email, I would encourage you to do so. Remember, the Zoom recordings of our interviews are also being uploaded to the FIAAA Educational Athletic Director YouTube channel. So take a look for this uh, interview uh, in a few weeks. Uh, Tag, thanks again. Uh, all the best. Uh, hopefully our, our paths will cross, uh, if not uh, sooner, uh, definitely in Denver in 2021. Thank you for the opportunity. Great seeing you and uh, 
I'm glad that we got the opportunity to work together in uh, through NIAAA. Thank you. Oh, absolutely. Appreciate you taking time out of your snowy day to, to be <laughs> with us. Uh, to our listeners, thanks for uh, tuning in. Come back again next time for another episode of the Educational AD Podcast.